This morning's reading is from Luke, chapter 10, verses 25 to 37, on page 1615 in your Bibles. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbour as yourself. You You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbour? In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he travelled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took, him, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbour to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Uh, Thanks, Claire. Uh, Please keep your Bibles open to chapter 10, uh, page 6. 1615 as we uh, start this new series of the stories that Jesus told. And uh, please note, there'll be a time for questions after the talk if you have any. Now this morning we're looking at probably the most famous parable of them all. And it's a parable that's, I reckon, so familiar that the word Samaritan has become synonymous with uh, charity organisations both here in Australia and beyond. Uh, the social services arm of our denomination is called Jericho Road because of this parable. But what exactly does God want us to learn from this parable? Well, before we get into this passage, will you please join me as I pray? Let's pray together. Uh, Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for giving us your words that we can learn how to live your way. Please help me now to speak your word clearly this morning. And we pray that by your word and spirit, we pray that you will change us in how we understand your love for us and how we're to relate to each other. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Every year for the past 33 years, every weeknight at uh, uh, 6.30pm, Channel 10 has been giving Australia a consistent message. Do you know what that message is? Any guesses? I'll give you a hint. 
Neighbours. Neighbours. Everybody needs good neighbours. Neighbours should be there for one another because that's when good neighbours become, and you can say it in your heads, good friends. I just got to check, are there any fans here this morning? You don't have to put your hand up if you don't want to. But I know there must be because it's the longest-running TV drama series in Australian television, so someone's watching it. And you know, they're right. We all need good neighbours. And studies show that those with little or no social ties with others apparently are two to three times more likely to die of any other cause. Everyone needs a good neighbour. And given how popular the show has been, I think Sydney agrees. But this morning, I don't want to talk about Ramsey Street, but I do want to talk about being good neighbours. Because what we'll see from God's Word this morning is that a fundamental part of being a Christian is being a good neighbour. And understanding who Jesus is enables us to be the good neighbours that our community of the inner west needs. Now we all love a great story, and Jesus is the ultimate storyteller. But the thing you need to know about parables is that parables are much more than just a story. Yes, they are simple stories, but they're stories that are used to explain deep biblical truths. And there's a range of different type of parables. You've got parables about wise living, parables of uh, future judgment, you've got parables of the kingdom of God. But the parables that we're going to be looking at over these next four weeks are parables that show us what life looks like for someone who follows Jesus. Now, each of these parables, they actually are set in a particular context. Uh, In this section of Luke's Gospel, Jesus is making his journey uh, to Jerusalem. And along the way, he encounters a number of different types of people in particular situations. And it's in those situations that Jesus speaks this parable to teach a particular truth. So it's really important for us to look at the narrative surrounding the parable to really understand what God wants to say to us this morning. So Luke's account opens up in verse 25, where an expert of the law comes to Jesus and asks Jesus a question. The question is, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, an expert of the law, it's a person who's uh, been taught to interpret and teach the the Jewish law found in the Old Testament. So he's a religious scholar. And Luke tells us that His question, it isn't genuine. Do you see it there? In verse 25, he wants to put Jesus to the test. And the reason why the lawyer wants to test Jesus is because this guy, he's he's suspicious about Jesus' theology. Up to this point in Luke's gospel, uh, Jesus has been hanging out with uh, sinners and outcasts of society. And he even doesn't follow the Sabbath like the other guys did. So... For this lawyer, Jesus seems a little off. Well, Jesus replies back in verse 26 by 
flicking it back onto the lawyer. And Jesus asks him a question. Do you see it there? He says, well, what's written in the law? How do you read it? And so the, the lawyer, he quotes the stock standard Jewish answer to that question. Have a look at what he says in verse 27 with me. The lawyer says, he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. So basically, according to the law and according to this lawyer, the answer is you keep all the law. Now, Jesus, he affirms the guy's answer. But then he says six words that turns the tables on the lawyer, and now Jesus tests the lawyer. Uh, Please have a look. What does Jesus say? Verse 28. Do this, and you will live. Now, at this point, the lawyer feels squirmish because what he hears, it's a really tall order. So what the lawyer does next, he tries to minimize his obligation. He he tries to whittle it down to make it more doable. Check out what the lawyer says next in verse 29. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? You see, by asking this question, the lawyer can work out, if he can work out who his neighbor is, then by default he can work out who isn't his neighbor. You see, he he wants to draw the line. He he wants to work out the, the bare minimum of what he has to do so he can minimize his inconvenience. Who do I have to love so that I could just tick off the box? You know, it's so easy for us to do the same thing that the lawyer did, where there's a little lawyer inside of us, where we want to soften the demand, where we want to find the loophole, where we want to limit those who we want to treat as neighbors and ignore the rest. Because it's so easy to love those who are so similar to us, who think like us, who we have a natural connection with. how does Jesus respond to that question? Well, it's in this context that Jesus then tells the lawyer the parable of the Samaritan. And it's from this parable that we will see two aspects of being a good neighbor. Firstly, a neighbor doesn't limit who they love. And secondly, a neighbor doesn't limit how much they love. Uh, Let's walk through this parable together. Now, the first thing to notice is that This parable is deliberately a Jewish story where the traveler is a Jew, where he's been traveling from uh, Jerusalem to Jericho, and we read that he's attacked by robbers, stripped of everything he has, and is left half dead. In verse 31, so happens a priest walks down the same road. Now, the priests were the the good guys of society. Uh, They were the leaders of the Jewish temple, And so if you're hearing this parable for the very first time, hey, you'll be thinking, hey, hey, this is good. Hey, help, it's on its way. But verse 31, the priest sees the man and passes by the other side and keeps on going. 
Verse 32, a Levite comes along. Now, the Levite was the priest's assistant in the temple. So, like the priest, the Levite is a good guy as well. But like the priest before him, he too sees the man. And he too crosses over to the other side and keeps on going. Now, at this point, the lawyer is expecting the third person to come along to be your normal, ordinary, garden-variety Jew. So you have to understand his surprise when he hears that it's a Samaritan. Well, actually, it's an absolute shock, given the background between Jews and Samaritans. Because, you see, Jews, they hate Samaritans. And Samaritans, they hate Jews. You see, back in the Old Testament, there was a civil war in Israel. And the northern part, which, is, which Samaria was part of, broke away from Israel and assimilated with the Gentiles. So from the point of view of these Jews, they think those Samaritans are half-blood traitors. And so the Samaritan would be the last person a Jew would consider a neighbor. And he's the last person that this lawyer would have expected in the story. Now we see here that the priest and the Levite limit who they love. Now in fairness, the the guy who's on the road, he actually does present a problem to the priest and the Levite. Right? Well, if they were to help the guy, well, if he became dead, well, the priest and the Levite would become ceremonially unclean. And if that was to happen, that would stop them from doing their work in the temple. And so the little lawyer in them would have said, well, for me to help this guy, okay, yeah, he's half dead, but he might die. And if I I come and help him, that will stop me doing my job in the temple for other people. So for the sake of the greater good, the loving thing to do is not help this guy. But the Samaritan isn't like that. And despite their deep-seated cultural differences... The Samaritan doesn't limit who he loves. Now, being a Samaritan, he could come up with a whole range of excuses uh, of his own. He could have said, hey, this guy wouldn't have done it for me. So why should I I do it for him? If the roles were reversed and I was the one on on the ground and this guy was on his donkey coming along, he would have reversed over me with his steed a couple of times just to finish the job. He could have thought that. Or the Samaritan could have thought, hey, this guy's a Jew and I'm a Samaritan. Hey, he's not my problem. I'll let his own people take care of him. Oh, I hear priests and Levites are good at this sort of thing. I'll leave it to them. No, the Samaritan isn't like that. He doesn't put limits on who he loves because he is a true neighbor. Well, the second thing that we see from this parable is that a good neighbor doesn't limit how much they love. Now, the the priest and the Levite, they knew how much they were risking. And they knew how costly it would be to love this guy. And think about it. This guy's half dead. And it's possible that the guys who beat him up are still around. And maybe it's all part of their plan. Maybe it's a trap. What better way to get two for one 
than to beat the guy up half dead, then wait for someone else to come along to help this guy, and then they'll go and pounce on him too. The priest and the Levite knew what they were risking, and they chose not to stop and help. For them, the cost was too great. And that's why they passed over to the other side. But what does the Samaritan do? Well, instead of passing over, we see from the text, at risk to himself, he stops and helps the man. And he takes him to the inn, and effectively, he writes a blank check for him. Now that's costly. And again, the Samaritan doesn't make any excuses. The Samaritan, he doesn't say, hey, look, what if the guy recovers in two days? I've paid for two weeks. Well, for all I know, I might be buying drinks for this guy for two weeks. No. Instead, the Samaritan says, this guy needs my help. So I'm going to be his neighbor. Because neighbors don't limit their love or how much they love. Do you get the sense of how extravagant and generous and over the top this Samaritan has been to this guy? This Samaritan is going above and beyond what's expected for someone in his situation. And the fact that the priest and the Levite did nothing when they were meant to makes what the Samaritan does even more remarkable. Well, after the parable, in verse 36, Jesus concludes by asking the lawyer a question. And notice that Jesus changes the question that the lawyer asked before. Uh, Do you see it? Uh, The lawyer asked in verse 29, who is my neighbor? In other words, he's asking, who's the person I should be loving? Whereas, in verse 36, Jesus asks the question, who was the neighbor to this man? In other words, Who was the one who did the loving? So in effect, Jesus is saying that the lawyer's question before isn't the question to ask. Because everyone's your neighbor. And there's not meant to be any boundaries. Jesus is making the point. It's the neighbor who's to to do the loving. Not just the one being loved. And by the way, the way the lawyer answers Jesus' question, well, it's really telling to see where the lawyer's at. Because he's still filled with prejudice against Samaritans, but he can't bring himself to say the words, the Samaritan. Instead, all he could get out was, the one who had mercy on him. But despite his prejudice, well, the lawyer understands Jesus' point. And then Jesus challenges the lawyer, go and do likewise. For us, Jesus doesn't want us to be like the lawyer. He wants us to be a neighbor like the Samaritan. And like what Jesus said to the lawyer, we are to go and do likewise. Now, as we look at this example of the Samaritan, it is a tall order. 
how are you feeling about living up to the Samaritan's example? Is anyone else besides me feeling a bit guilty right now? You might be thinking of the homeless person that you walked past last week. Or you might be thinking of the sibling that you cut off because they need to be taught a lesson. Or you might be thinking of the person who you're refusing to help because you know they they got themselves in trouble in the first place and if you help them, they'll just develop unhealthy patterns. And besides, they don't deserve it anyway. The tragedy is... None of us are good neighbours, or at least not consistently. And if it's true that only good neighbours inherit eternal life, well, according to these standards, none of us would inherit eternal life. Which leads us to, us to ask the question, why would Jesus tell us a story like this? If you can't fulfil it, then what's the point? When I look at the story of the Good Samaritan, I know I don't measure up. I'm nowhere near good enough to meet this standard. If anything, I'm like the guy on the road. When it comes to good works, I personally don't have much to show for myself. And maybe that's the point. Maybe Jesus is getting us to see that if we're to be good neighbours, we need to be good neighbored by someone else. Maybe Jesus gave us to see that if we're to be a good Samaritan, we need to meet the ultimate good Samaritan. You see, this parable is the gospel. Surely Jesus is the one who crosses to our side of the road, where he crossed from heaven to earth to help us. Surely Jesus is the one who took pity on us. People who weren't just half dead, but completely dead in our sin. Surely Jesus is the one who didn't just risk his life, but gave up his life for us. You see, we needed someone else to lift us out of the ditch of our sin. And Jesus did that by giving up his life on the cross, to pay the debt that we owe to God because of our sin. And that act of neighborly love that Jesus did for us, that's what we call grace. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. He's the ultimate good neighbor. And it's until you come to accept and trust and experience his neighborly love, that's when you're able to inherit eternal life so if you're here and you're not trusting in Jesus if you're here if you think you don't you're not going to inherit eternal life well please chat to myself or the PM or Carmen afterwards but here's the other thing once we're in a relationship with the ultimate good neighbour it's his love enables us to be the good neighbours that he wants us to be. Because we've experienced this extravagant, costly, over-the-top type of love by Jesus, and it will motivate us to love others in the same way. You see, it's grace 
and not guilt that will enable us to be good neighbours. And when you think about it, to be motivated by, uh, to be a good neighbour out of guilt, or because you have to, or because you think it's required to get to heaven, it'll only carry you so far. And in the end, you'll be like the lawyer trying to be a neighbour, where it's restrictive, it's calculative, and there's no joy in that. But as we grasp the grace that God has shown us, well, it will enable us to take down the barriers, to stop defining who we want to help out. And as we, as we remember the enormous lengths which Jesus went through for us, it will motivate us to be extravagant, generous, over the top, with our time, with our money, with our energy for others. And there's a real freedom in that. And being a good neighbour, not only can we involve helping those in need who God brings across in our paths, but there are also some great initiatives that we can be part of to share God's love to others. Things like Jericho Road, where there are programs that effectively help people in need, from people affected by the drought to refugees settling here in Sydney. So please check out their website at jerichoroad.org.au if you want to find out more. You see, being a good neighbour comes in all different shapes and sizes. We've seen this morning that everyone needs good neighbours. And for us to be the good neighbours that our city needs, it all starts with experiencing the neighbourly love of the ultimate good neighbour. And it's only when his grace actually penetrates our hearts, well, that's when we're able to go and do likewise. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the Lord Jesus, who was the ultimate good Samaritan, the ultimate good neighbour for us. That he came over to our side of the road, that he came to lift us out of the ditch of our sin and gave up his life so that we can inherit eternal life. Heavenly Father, we confess that there's so many times we let that little lawyer in us hinder our love for others. We confess those times when we're not a good neighbour to others. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll grant us a deeper experience of your grace, and we pray that your love will shape us and mould us to be the good neighbours you want us to be. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.